Welcome to the FarmBeats podcast. FarmBeats is proudly produced by the Nebraska Digital Agriculture team and hosted by students at the University of Nebraska. The FarmBeats podcast comes to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. There are interviews with expert producers and innovators from across the agriculture industry. We hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agricultural technology. Hello, FarmBeats followers, and welcome to another episode of the FarmBeats podcast. I'm Victor de Souza Ferreira. And I'm Camila Rodriguez, and we are glad to have you with us as we begin our discussion on pesticide application technology with Dr. Rodrigo Worley and Dr. Chris Proctor. Could you both introduce yourself, sharing your background up to where you are now? Rodrigo, if you want to go first. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here today. Uh, Camila and Victor, appreciate it. So Rodrigo Worley, I'm an extension weed scientist at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm actually from uh, Brazil, uh, born and raised in a a small community of uh, Dutch immigrants, uh, you know, grew up surrounded with agriculture. I uh, decided to study agronomy for my bachelor's degree at Sao Paulo State University in Brazil. And uh, during school, I had the opportunity to do an internship, actually back in 2009 at the University uh, of uh, Nebraska-Lincoln. I was there for a six-month internship. Uh, from there, I had the opportunity to return back to Nebraska, to UNL, to do my master's and my PhD. I actually worked at the University of Nebraska Lincoln West Center Research and Extension Center out in North Platte as a cropping system specialist uh, for almost two years. And then in 2018, I transitioned uh, to the University of Wisconsin, where I started as, as an assistant professor and now as an associate professor of weed science uh, with extension responsibilities and weed management in corn and soybean production systems. Yeah, no, I appreciate the invitation to be on here today. Uh, so my my role is is changed a little bit over time. Uh, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest um, out in Washington State. Uh, I got a master's degree from Washington State University uh, focused in it was a crop uh, crop and soil science department, but it was a turf grass focused uh, project. So I really got my start in, in turf grass. Came to Nebraska in 2010 for my PhD. I focused much more on weed science at that point. And in 2015, took a position as an extension educator with statewide responsibilities, focused on on weed science. And so a lot of what I've done uh, has been very extension focused, very applied, and how to how do we take research information, put it in the hands of, of growers? Uh, so I'll, right now, um, most of what I do is related to the corn and soybean management, uh, thinking about uh, uh, how, do, how do we manage weeds within those systems? There's any number of challenges that, that farmers are facing right now. And so uh, I, a lot of thinking about what are different tools that we can uh, utilize uh, to, to assist farmers in that. So. Uh, certainly herbicides are a, a part of that conversation, but we talk a lot about, think a lot about uh, using cover crops, uh, crop rotations, um, different management strategies. So how do we, how do we keep tools in the toolbox uh, so that we can effectively manage uh, a lot of the challenges we see up there? And so that's a lot of, a lot of my focus and 
And then how do we communicate that effectively? So what is what is what does it look like to take these ideas and concepts and and help farmers implement them? And so uh, more and more, I see it as a two way conversation. So I have certain things that I've learned uh, uh, and uh, try to communicate that to farmers. But I, I, I say I learn as much from farmers as, as I hope maybe they learn from me. And so uh, trying to understand uh, where they're successful, what are their questions, uh, what are they learning uh, in their operation, and how can we work together to, to find some of those solutions. So uh, that's that's where I'm at right now. And if I may here, uh, a point that's important to share, I think, right, Chris, uh, we overlapped in graduate school, we're close colleagues now, and we've become uh, great friends uh, that way. So it's, it's, it's awesome to be sharing here the, you know, the stage with you. So Chris, how can university extension programs contribute for pesticide application best decisions? Yeah, I, I think I, th I think a lot of it is um, there's different pieces of that to that question. I think trying to understand um, one, it's understanding you know, what are the what are the problems that that growers are facing, and so I think I think we need to do the work uh, uh, in having the conversations and and being out uh, out where where farmers are doing their work to say you know what what are the challenges that you see what 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 are you struggling with. Um, and then a lot of a lot of application technology. I mean, it's it's so heavily supported by industry. Really advanced in a lot of those um, a lot of those areas. And so, how do we connect? How do we connect those two together? Uh, and I, th I think extension plays an interesting role in that. Uh, we like we like to say that extension can be more of an unbiased resource. Um, and I, I say that cautiously because I think we all have our, our our biases, but but I do think extension plays a unique role in that. Um, you know, we're we don't have a product that we're selling, and so I think I think sometimes we can offer uh, conversation and, and partnership in ways that the industry doesn't. So I think it's complementary, right? I, I think you can't get any one one piece out of the the equation. I think I think it's all necessary for for success, but. Um, a lot of it's around, I think, around awareness, around um, best use of the technology. Um, I think we learn a lot from trial and error. Uh, you know, I, I, I think, I think, I think around around those pieces. So that's how I'd initially answer the question. I, Rodrigo, how would you how would you uh, fill that in? And maybe I'll, I'll have additional ideas uh, relative to what you have to say. Yeah, well, I think that's a, you brought us some really good points there. I would like to, you know, use this opportunity to share examples of how I think we, uh, you know, assist growers because it's a very complex process, right? Uh, there's several steps involved in, you know, making a pesticide application. I think where it all starts is selecting the right, uh, in our case here, we're talking weed control, the right herbicide, the right adjuvants, right? And in extension, one way that we support our growers is through our evaluation trials. So we show what's working, what's not working. And one way we document that is through our weed guides, right? Nebraska uh, has, uh, you know, the UNL, you know, the group, the, the weed science group at UNL, they have a very, very strong uh, weed guide. Uh, we also have our own uh, pest management guide here at the University uh, of Wisconsin-Madison. Those are publications that we update on yearly basis where we incorporate label information and also uh, research information to help our growers 
and their decision influencers start at initial point, which is selecting effective herbicides, right? We want to make sure we're spraying the right herbicides at the right time and selecting those chemicals. I think it's an initial step that's very, very important, and we do our best to provide, as Chris indicated, unbiased information. And then we also have other colleagues that work more on the application uh, side of things where they're looking at different nozzles, carrier rates, and so on. So what we try to do is bring all this information together via publications, via videos or trainings, and so on. So growers and the applicators, they have the right uh, information uh, that they need to make an effective application to control uh, the weeds that we have uh, out there. I would, you know, one thing I would add, I think one thing that the university is has done pretty well over the last number of years is is really bringing information and research around uh, resistance management. So being able to manage resistant weeds is critical for farmer success. And I think I think the university has played a pretty important role in one defining the problem, but then also really working towards what what are some of the solutions that farmers can implement so that they can continue to have success manage difficult to control weeds but yes a lot of it's around these resource development that's great uh taking that point that you mentioned chris about the weed resistance what are the challenges and the opportunities related to it yeah i think it's it's probably easier to start on the challenge side uh you know you, you look at the, the cropping systems that we have in the midwest um crops that we see in corn and soybean, they, they, they are planted at very similar times or harvested at very similar times. Uh, you know, they, they often use similar um, management practices and how they're managed. And so uh, I think I think just given those systems, we've naturally selected weed species over time. And then you add the chemistry piece. Um, it's been a really important tool in managing our cropping systems. Um, but uh, the way that the way that they've been utilized historically has certainly led to resistance, right? So using low low rates, uh, using the same mode of action over and over again, uh, tends to select for uh, resistant populations. Uh, and then just there's there not been a lot of new technology development in the the chemistry space, and so we we have a limited uh, limited number of products that we ha that we have uh, to use in these in these systems, and so. Um, so you, you think of all those things, and so there's there's a lot of selection pressure being put on our cropping systems, uh, both from a management side, from a chemistry side, uh, and in the end, it results in that we have some really difficult to control weeds. Uh, the the pigweed family is notoriously challenging to control. Um, but one of so so that I mean certainly highlights some of the challenges. You think of the opportunities. Uh, to me, I I think. I think it's forced us, resistance has forced us to think more broadly about, about how do we manage our systems. And I, I think that's a good thing because it doesn't, it doesn't just influence how we manage the weeds themselves. Uh, but, it, you know, I, I a discussion around soil health, I think as we broaden our, our thought process around management and managing the whole system, it's going to influence soil health. It's going to influence how we manage nutrients. Um, so I think there's I think there's some good things that come from that. Uh, so while while the challenge is there, I think the the opportunity is um, can we think more broadly about our tools? Can we think more broadly about our management practices, um, knowing that they have uh, broader implications? Uh, 
climate smart technology is a big one. So how how do we manage our systems in such a way that that uh, is not detrimental? Uh, thinking about our, our climate, but right, is is uh, working towards improving those things. And so that would be one one way I'd highlight some of the opportunities there. Uh, Rodrigo, I'm sure you'd have uh, additional thoughts there as well. You do a lot of work in this area. Yeah, no, that's, you brought up some excellent points there, uh, Chris. You know, weed management, you know, thinking about corn and soybeans across the Midwest for about two decades, there was quite simple, right? And that's just not the case uh, anymore. It's gotten more complicated, more complex, and it's gotten more expensive uh, for the farmers uh, as well. But because it's gotten more complex, we're looking at alternatives, right? Just like what Chris described, for instance, we do a lot of research looking at how can cover crops help us improve weed management. We wouldn't be doing this type of research if, you know, one or two passes of glyphosate uh, was still working. And because now we're doing more and more of this work, we're talking more about it. We're having a better understanding of how, for instance, cover crops can help with soil health, but can also help uh, with overall uh, weed management programs. And because we're talking more about this, I feel like a lot of growers that probably wouldn't consider adopting a cover crop, they're more exposed to the idea and the potential benefits. And that way, you know, a challenge, which is herbicide-resistant weeds, is generating an opportunity here to have a more diversified uh, system. So that part uh, is, is uh, fascinating. And the other thing, you know, which is kind of a topic of discussion here today is technologies, right? There's a lot of uh, technologies and investments now uh, in areas related to weed control, right? For about two decades, glyphosate was working just fine. It was doing a phenomenal job. So there was not a lot of incentives for looking into new molecules or new strategies. And now it's, it's different, okay? Uh, we haven't had a new set of action in the market for about 30 years. Uh, there are some potential uh, chemistries that we're exploring now, uh, all in the research phase. Uh, they're probably going to, you know, it's probably going to take another five to 10 years until growers uh, start seeing them. Meanwhile, you know, the Palmer Emirate in Nebraska, the water hemp here uh, in Wisconsin, they continue to be driver weed species. They're evolving resistance to a lot of the herbicides that we're using. So this is a real challenge uh, that we have out there. So how do we use more integrated strategies uh, to control these weeds? How do we go, you know, now it's time to go back to the whiteboard and start revisiting some of the agronomic decisions that we didn't pay close attention before, but we need to moving forward. We talked about cover crops. The other one, we've done a lot of work, right, Chris, when through the um, Nebraska soybean management field days and also through our research here in Wisconsin, looking at row spacing, right? A lot of our growers are in the 30 inch row spacing. Uh, you know, as Chris described, Waterham, Palmer, Amaranth, they're really adapted to this corn soybean rotation. And the best way uh, to suppress Palmer, Waterhemp is, uh, you know, canopy closure. So this is how cover crops help. And this is how narrow uh, row spacing helps. So planting early, uh, planting narrow, all those modifications we can make to our current crop and uh, cropping systems there to make them more competitive uh, with the weeds. So I think, you know, you know, from a big challenge here, now we have a lot of opportunities. But at the same time, as resistance continue to evolve, uh, we need to think about new ways uh, of managing weeds, right? And we, when, when focusing uh, on herbicides, what can we be doing uh, differently and achieving uh, good control? And I think this is probably a good segue here for the next part of our conversation. As in talking about all those challenges, Rodrigo, 
uh, how novel technologies can address this situation? Yeah, no, this is this is an excellent uh, question, uh, Camila. I think novel technologies is is broad, right? It's it's this is a very it's a big question. So I'll I'll take a first stab here, and then Chris, uh, I will pass it uh, to you. Uh, you know, the idea of, of cover crops, there is nothing novel about cover crops, right? But it's something that has come back. And how do we bring cover crops as part of a, a weed management, uh, integrated weed management program? So it's not a technology or a novel concept per se, but it's something that we're bringing uh, back into our system. So how do we uh, use, how do we put these technologies to help uh, manage this, this system? So that's a big uh, focal point. But the other one, the other aspect that I want to talk about is, is the high tech uh, part of things, right? So there's new ways that we can uh, apply our pesticides or novel technologies that are the smart sprayers uh, that are gaining a lot of popularity, right? Uh, there's also a lot of interest in using drones. There's a lot of interest in collecting imagery to try to understand where the weeds are so we can target those areas, so we only deliver the pesticides to those areas. There's a lot of interest in, in, in having a better understanding of uh, the soil within a field, right? The, the variation uh, of soil texture within a field, because once you know that soil texture within that field, you can adjust rates of pre-emergent herbicides, so you can deliver the right rate of the herbicides, okay? So where I'm going with this here, on this more novel technologies, understanding where the problems are or understanding what the conditions of the fields are so you're delivering the right rate of the pesticide at the right location. And I think this is where we're headed here within uh, our discipline from a, you know applied management standpoint. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a fascinating time to be, to be engaged in, in thinking about these things. Uh, you, know, you think of the the millions of acres that are managed uh, for agronomic crops, and we're getting down to the point where we're trying to manage uh, square inches of of these fields. Uh, you know that's that's pretty phenomenal. And so, the really data driven questions. Uh, I think I think what's what's interesting is is how do we a bit of a seesaw effect. So one one technology advances and our ability to use that technology catches up and then uh, the problems uh, the problems are highlighted and then the technology comes in behind to try to address those problems and so uh, it sometimes it kind of feels like a lot of starting and stopping uh, you go down a road thinking that maybe that's the right solution only to realize that uh, you've inherited other other challenges as a result and so um, uh, yeah there's there's a lot that goes into it but I I, I do think this idea that that Rodrigo highlighted right there uh, at the end of his comment that it's it's the ability to deliver uh, very site specific uh, mechanisms of control. Uh, so at the right place, the right time, uh, the right dose. I and mean, I think technology is is really allowing us to begin thinking those ways. Um, before before a lot of the new technologies have, have come online. You know, we were we we're managing regionally. We we're managing at the field scale, uh, a single single dose, single application uh, on much larger scales. And I think we've just it allows us to manage on much much finer scales. Uh, you know, the, the challenge is uh, 
you generate all this data, uh, you have all this advanced technology, uh, management just becomes harder. And there's a lot more down that goes into managing effectively. Um, but but it's exciting. I think it's really exciting to see where it can go. And I think I think the opportunities are, are pretty big. Rodrigo, you mentioned about the smart sprayer. How universities are involved with this novel technology? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good question, uh, Victor. And so as far as, you know, novel technologies uh, for pesticide application, I think the, the two main ones that we're discussing a lot uh, these days, and then Chris, if I'm missing anything here, feel free to add, I think, you know, drone applications and then the smart sprayer. So real, really quick here, give uh, some information regarding drone applications or UAV applications here in the state of Wisconsin this past two years. Um, there are a lot of new business starting. So we're seeing a lot of uh, young folks out there going out there buying large drones. The one that's become very popular here in Wisconsin is the T40. And, you know, they're being used primarily for fungicides applications here in the state of Wisconsin and primarily in corn. Okay, here in Wisconsin, we have a lot smaller fields, especially when you compare to Nebraska. Uh, we have a lot of fields that have a large uh, perimeter to area ratio, okay, where it's difficult for, uh, you know, uh, the airplanes to deliver the fungicide. So there's a niche opportunity uh, for drone applications, a lot of interest uh, on that, okay? And there's drones are also being used to spread cover crop seeds at the end of the season there. So it's pretty neat to see this one tool, right? This one drone being used for fungicide application and later on uh, to spread uh, cover crop seeds. As far as herbicide goes, uh, I think we still have a lot of work uh, to do, um, you know, trying to relate a herbicide application with drones. I think drift uh, becomes the, the main concern and also the lack of a consistent pattern when spraying uh, a herbicide. I think from a herbicide resistance management standpoint, we know that we got to be delivering a good coverage and delivering the right rate uh, to uh, those weeds. And if we have an application with drone and that application is not consistent, uh, that might may lead to some problems. So those are some of the concerns that we have uh, right now regarding drone applications. But again, back to your question, how can universities help? This is when we're partnering up uh, with folks that are buying drones uh, to try to do some work to understand, you know, what are the, the settings here that we can use to optimize uh, performance of these applications. Okay, in the university, we have the main power, uh, we have access uh, to land where such projects uh, can be done. So that's been fascinating. As a matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago, we conducted uh, some work looking at deposition aid, right? We're looking at adjuvants that can help increase deposition of uh, spray particles from drone applications. So again, tremendous opportunities here for opportunities or for the universities, for us academics to partner up with those that are flying the drones, but also those manufacturers out there that are developing uh, uh, products. This is also new, lots of questions. So it's an exciting time. And then back to the extension front, you know, we recently uh, held or hosted a webinar and this webinar is available online via YouTube. So if the listeners are interested in learning more about smart spray technologies, right, Chris, we organized a, a webinar uh, in the month of September. We had a lot of people that were interested and folks out there might be wondering, what, what is this guy talking about uh, smart sprayers, right? 
So just there's several ways these technologies are being referred to. Some folks call it a spot spray technology. Uh, we refer to it as a smart spray technology. Some uh, describe it as, as camera-based targeted applications. What we're talking about here are these new technologies where they have camera. And as the, the sprayer is traveling, that camera is detecting weeds in between the crop rows and only uh, deploying an application where those weeds uh, are detected, right? Is what we call a green on green uh, targeted application. Uh, not to promote one technology versus uh, the other, Chris, uh, myself, uh, and uh, our colleague, Dr. Anita Dilley at Kansas State University. We're working closely uh, with the One Smart Spray uh, group. They're a joint venture between BSF and Bosch, right? But there are other players uh, out there. Another example is uh, John Deere uh, and Blue River Technology with their C and Spray Ultimate. There's also uh, Green Eye Technology out there. So there are different companies that are bringing this uh, concept here to the market and they're just uh, taking off. There's, there's a lot of interest, there's a lot of opportunities, but I think there are a lot of questions, right, Chris, on how to best uh, deploy this technology. And this is where you know, we as extension, uh, we always have the grower in mind. We always have our agronomist there in mind, and we want to help, you know, the industry, uh, you know, as their technologies get deployed, we want to make sure that we're deploying those technologies the right way so they can be successful, successful for the companies out there, but also successful from a grower's uh, standpoint. And I'll let Chris uh, chime in. Yeah, no, I think that's a good. I think that's a good overview. Uh, just thinking about the technology, I, I think there's a lot more questions than there are answers at this point. Uh, so it's it's a it's a fun uh, opportunity to be involved in in the being just part of the conversation and the learning process. Uh, I think it's it's an interesting opportunity in that it's 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 one of it's not it's not the only example, but it's a it's a good example of collaboration between. Kind of engineers and and you know people that are are really good on the technology side collaborating with with more the the agronomy side um, and kind of coming together and it really is highlighted in this this type of work the need to have both both expertise uh, uh, part of the conversation uh, and so uh, I think I think as it develops that's where I, I think the university has unique opportunity to give input is really thinking about um, what, what's, the, what's the best fit of the technology into the system. Uh, I, I think the university, we, we just have kind of broad range of expertise. Uh, you just think of the agronomy department uh, at UNL and the number of faculty that, that are working on a lot of different areas. Uh, so just having that level of exposure, think about the system as a whole. So now how do we take this technology uh, and it'd be really easy just to say, let's just take this technology and let's just kind of force it, if I can call it that, force it to fit uh, within the system that we've built versus what does it look like to adopt and, and adapt our systems around the technology. So what, what's the best timing for a technology like this? Uh, we're used to spraying at certain times of the year that we found to be effective for, for traditional spray applications. We need to change our mindset around this type of technology. We need to utilize it different. Uh, I mean, a good example is uh, when the technology was first being developed, a lot of the perceptions were this will be a great opportunity to go into the field, detect weeds that missed early season applications, and then we can spray them late in the season and, and 
kind of recover or or kind of save any weed escapes that, that might be there. But as we've had opportunity to work with the technology and 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 the development around it, uh, it becomes clear that that's really probably not the best use case for that technology. Uh, it's it's more well suited for early season applications uh, when the weeds are small. And so I think uh, uh, there's there's learning curves around, around where to fit within the system uh, that I think are really interesting. Uh, and really the, the big opportunity that I think is, is fascinating is there's some environmental questions I think that we can that we can get into. So now we're, we're applying uh, maybe lower doses uh, across an entire field, but higher doses where the weeds are. And so more targeted applications uh, there's economic questions that come into play. And so there's a lot of integrated pieces around these technologies that, that become really fascinating. How do we, how do we utilize them uh, in, in the best way, in the best way possible? Because these are huge investments that are made both by companies and then uh, growers. And based on research, Rodrigo, what are the benefits of using the smart sprayer? And uh, is it reducing the chemical usage? Yeah, no, that's a fantastic question. So can it reduce uh, chemical usage? Uh, the answer to that is, as anything, in, I guess, in agronomy, it depends, right? Um, I think the main point there, you're going to see reduced chemical usage if we have good control of what's in our seed bank, right? If we do a good job controlling seed, uh, weeds uh, early season, what we're seeing is, you know, there's almost like a direct correlation, right, between weed infestation and the amount of herbicide that's used. So if you start with a good, in our research here, right, Chris, if we do work where we, you know, have a strong foundation, uh, we either have cover crops there helping with early season weed control, or if we have a very good, very strong pre-emergence herbicide program, we're ha we have reduced infestations of weeds to be controlled post-emergence. And in those scenarios is where we're going to be seeing uh, the most uh, savings, okay? So yeah, so if there is good, you know, foundation there, uh, there's going to be good reductions in pesticides that are used from a post-emergence uh, standpoint. So we do see that uh, in our research. Uh, I guess, you know, as far as uh, benefits, I think, you know, this idea of targeting, only applying a pesticide where the pesticide is needed. I think our growers, they want to see that. And I also think that the general public, uh, they want to see that. So I think as this technology is advanced and if we can do a, a good job adopting them, I do see that uh, as a win-win. As a side comment, uh, you know, there's uh, several environmental pressure or concerns as well. We want to reduce uh, the environmental load uh, with pesticides, right? So if we can have targeted applications, again, delivering the herbicides uh, where we want them to be, again, that's a win-win for the farmers, for the general public, and also uh, for uh, the environment. Yeah, I would, I would add uh, to, what, to what Rodrigo just said, is that it, it really depends on on the system that, that it's being implemented in. Uh, and so right now there's there's a global effort uh, to adopt this technology uh, and and so uh, you know it's being it's being tested and utilized in Brazil it's being tested and utilized in, in Australia and Europe I think for each of those places broadly speaking they have very different objectives uh, around the adoption of that technology and, and as a result uh, the way it 
the answer to that question, I think, is very different in each of those places. Uh, but when you think about North America, you think about our cropping systems, you think about the issues around weed resistance. I think, I think reducing pesticide uh, in total is probably a secondary, uh, a secondary piece uh, to the overall, the overall equation. Uh, while it's, I think it's, it's important to think about uh, and in certain situations, I think it's possible. I think the need to improve efficacy or efficiency of our, our pesticide or herbicide applications is probably the primary one. So we need to control our resistant populations. And so being able to think about, we've said it a couple of times with this idea of a dose per plant instead of a dose per acre. So can we spray weeds uh, at different sizes with different doses uh, and the appropriate dose or maybe different chemistries to, as the technology advances and can distinguish between weed species? Can we now target individual weed species with with specific doses and specific chemistries to improve our efficacy. I think that's probably more uh, where, where the industry seems to be going, where the technology seems to be going for North America at the moment. And I think as that improves and as we get better at utilizing it within our system and still maintaining, uh, like Rodrigo said, really best practices around residual chemistries and, and managing our weeds, I think, I think over time we might see a reduction overall in, in chemistries applied, but I think we're going to see more efficient applications of those chemistries and more targeted applications of those chemistries and putting them where they need to be and not putting them where they don't need to be. Uh, and so, I think I think it's possible, but I I, I think it's there's, there's a bigger question around that than just can we reduce chemical total chemicals. And I think that's I think that's a good place for us to be in North America is to ask the question that way because. Uh, uh, just to highlight, uh, not to say one's better than the other, but you look at Europe, it's a very different system with very different needs, uh, very very different cropping systems. Uh, but they've, they've gone to a system where they've mandated reduction in chemistries. And so uh, I think if regulation uh, becomes part of the equation, then, then the conversation changes a little. Yeah, no, just, I think Chris brought up some excellent points there. Uh, so I think at the end of the day, it's more than just uh, reducing uh, you know, that the chemical usage, but being more strategic, right? All depends where you're at uh, around the globe. Some are after the savings, but as, as Chris just indicated, resistance is a big problem here in North America. Uh, you know, targeting effective herbicides is where I think this technology is where they, they're needed. It's where this technology has the potential to truly, uh, truly shine here in our current, you know, corn soybean rotation, especially as you think from a Midwest uh, standpoint. Great point there, Chris. Uh, Chris, are there any uh, regulatory considerations for using smart sprayers? Yeah, I, I think there's there's a there's a lot of questions around that right now. I don't know that I'm the best equipped to answer uh, all of that, but I I might be able to highlight a couple of things that that. Uh, we've just heard discussions around uh, relative to this. And so if you if you just take, for example, the idea of applying uh, a dose plant as opposed to a dose per acre, all of our labels have been written right now uh, and, and developed in uh, through working with the EPA is, is certainly around a dose per acre. So there's the total amount of chemistry that's allowed uh, to be applied uh, on a per acre basis. Um, 
So if we shift the technology, now we can apply that, uh, that, that dose per plant. Does that mean that we can take the total amount of chemistry that was allowed to be applied on that field and apply that same amount, but only where the weeds are? Uh, in theory, yes, but I don't know that the labels are written in such a way that it would allow that. And so I think there's a lot of questions around as this technology develops, we need to change the way that labels are written. Do we need certain allowances for smart spray technology uh, that maybe wouldn't be allowed uh, in a traditional broadcast application situation? So I think at least as I think about it, North America has probably a lot more to do with um, how do, how, do we, how are we going to utilize these applications and and do we need to make changes to our current our current systems and regulations to to better fit the technology? Uh, you know, as I mentioned, if you go to different uh, places around around the world, uh, those conversations uh, are focused on very different things. And and um, but that that would be what I'd highlight. I think for now, uh, in terms of thinking about it in North America, I don't Rodrigo. Are there other pieces to that that you would you would add? Yeah, no, good points, Chris. And the other thing that we haven't discussed here to add to that complexity is that the fact that most of, you know, this technology, the way it's being positioned here in North America, not only is going to have this ability to do the green on green, but they also will have this opportunity for a two-tank, uh, two-boom system, right? In, in the sense that you would have one boom delivering what we call the smart application, right? A targeted application. But then the growers would also have access to a second tank boom system that could deploy uh, a broadcast application, right? So let's think about a post-emergence application right now. We would have a foliar product that controls established weeds. But one of the biggest recommendations uh, for corn and soybean growers for pigweed management is to use what we call a layered residual approach, right? So delivering a residual herbicide in season. If you're only spot spraying, you cannot deliver a broadcast residual application. But now that we have this two tank to boom system, growers will have the ability uh, to do that. Okay. So as of now, when we make, you know, when designing our trials and we're talking with growers that are adopting uh, these technologies, we got to go by, you know, the, the regulations and the labels related to a broadcast application. But as we move forward, we have unique opportunities, right, to perhaps adjust rates for the spot only applications and then the other questions that we get is what about adjuvants and so on so i think there are tremendous uh opportunities uh out there as far as as this technologies continue to evolve so long story short here right chris i think this is also new there are so many questions uh to to be answered still through research but also through the regulatory uh, process and Rodrigo, what types of data do smart sprayer collect and analyze do you know how to explain how all those data are generated for the farmer or who is using it? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think I'm going to speak a little bit to the equipment, right, that we've been exposed to. I know it, it's going to vary tremendously from equipment to equipment, but I think as far as these smart sprayers go, I think that the main uh, data that the growers or the applicators um expect and they will get out of uh, the applications is what we call the as applied maps, uh, the weed infestation maps, right? And then through those maps, then you can have a better understanding of that area that was treated and the potential uh, savings uh, from that application, right? Chris? So this is what we've seen so far when those, those cameras are traveling 
um, through those fields, they're gathering image, right? On where those weeds are, and that's generating an as applied, I'm sorry, a weed infestation map, okay? And then as the applications go on and off, right? As our nozzles are being triggered on and off, then you have what they call uh, a, an as applied map. And through this as applied map, again, you can understand uh, the savings. So it's another layer uh, of data that you know the growers or the applicators uh, will have access to. So I think for now, I think the the main way this would be used is to understand where the the weeds are and what kind of savings we're seeing from the application. But this is where you know like academics get really excited. Chris and I have had a lot of conversations because there are tremendous potential. Uh, you know, around this maps, right? You can understand where the infestations were, are, you can change your cropping systems, you can change uh, your chemical programs based on where those, uh, you know, infested parts of your fields are. So I think there's a lot of opportunities, but again, a lot of data that's, that are coming in towards the farmer and it can get pretty overwhelming uh, pretty fast uh, as well. So here's again, another opportunity and extension uh, and, you know, a lot of young agronomists are probably listening to this. I think there's a lot of opportunities here, right? All this big data, we're all talking a lot about big data, all this big data coming in. How can we take all this data and help our growers with their best management decisions? Chris, what do you have to add there? I don't know that I'd add a lot. Uh, I think you're highlighting this, the, the, the potential value. So we're on the week. In science side, I don't know that we've had this level of detailed mapping around weed populations before. And so I think I think there's a lot of interesting questions being asked right now. I think what'll be interesting is how do we begin to utilize that data and, and begin to answer some of those questions. I think that's the next step. You know, we've seen we've seen data on the on the yield side now for a while, on the nutrient management side, uh, a lot of soil-based maps. So now to add a, a another layer of data across the field around weed populations and distribution, uh, chemical application as applied maps. Uh, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see as, as that as that database grows and that information uh, available is, is only becomes more detailed. Uh, then how do we how do we use it? How do, I think that's really the big question is, is we can we're finding now we can generate this information. Uh, the next step is what do you do with it? How do you utilize it effectively? Are there uh, are the things we can learn that we that we just didn't understand before because now we have access to these data. And so uh, I'm excited to see what are some of the, uh, the kind of the novel advancements that come uh, through exploring that. And along those lines, you know, the, the big thing right now, right, Chris, that we get is how do we fit this technologies into the current ways that we control weeds, right? And this is kind of what our research is doing, right? How do I replace a broadcast application with a, smart spray uh, application. And at some point moving forward, I think we got to start thinking a little bit outside the box, right? We don't have to do things the way they were always done, right? We can start exploring different ways of putting this technology to use so we become more efficient uh, within our agricultural system. So again, it's fascinating that we can detect weeds and spray only where they are, but also this data piece here that we're discussing, you bring this all together it only helps us as an agricultural community to, community to become even more uh, efficient and sustainable. Uh, Rodrigo, 
you both uh, mentioned about the smart sprayer uh, into corn and soybean crops. Are the smart sprayers com compatible with different types of crops besides corn and soybean? Yeah, that's an excellent question there, Victor. From from our understanding, we're talking with the, the manufacturers that I described earlier. I think, you know, this corn, soybeans, uh, then cotton, I think those are the, the main crops for now. Okay, this is where the, the focus is. And that's, again, given the uh, amount of acres that are planted to those crops. So I think the, the main technologies that are coming online now, they're focusing primarily uh, on the commodity crops that I just uh, described okay but again here we're talking green on green applications okay the more recent ones but one thing that i want to add is if you think about specialty crops uh out there there are some other technologies that have been around for a while that allow you to do what we call uh you know the green on brown okay anything that they detect it's green they spray and in, in orchards for instance those technologies are being deployed okay so the, the technologies we're discussing here today they're primarily focused on the commodity uh, row crops, but there are some other technologies out there that are already available or uh, are being deployed for for a specialty uh, cropping systems uh, scenario. And I think as the technologies continue to evolve, right, Chris, the the, the machines, uh, the computing power, and the need. I mean, I think we're going to start seeing these crops. Uh, I'm sorry, these technologies being de deployed to other crops as well. I'll let you chime in, Chris. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that I add a lot just because I don't know that there's a lot uh, known yet. But I, I think I think that it's more around the technology development. So as the technology develops uh, and becomes more efficient, then then moving it from one crop to another, I think, is is much easier than the, than what it is to initially develop the technology itself. And so I, I think there's some discussion around wheat. I mean, so there, there's just more crops all the time. I think that are going to probably brought in into the conversation, but. Uh, yeah, it's right. As, as Rodrigo said, the, the development has really been uh, within kind of our agronomic cropping system on the front end. Thank you, Dr. Chris Proctor and Dr. Rodrigo Verley for this wonderful conversation about application technology. Stay tuned because next week we will continue this conversation. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Beats podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We would like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support for this podcast and their commitment to providing high-quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the views of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bites.